Welcome back to Mind the Music. I am so happy that you decided to tune in. It means a lot to me because I feel supported by you on this journey of well-being, awareness, and electronic music. Now, before we dive into this episode, real quick, I want to share with you a free guided meditation I created. I meditate every day, and I think you should too. It doesn't have to be complicated and you don't need to sit on your meditation pillow an hour a day to get the most out of meditating. It just takes consistent practice through a daily commitment and just 10 minutes of your time. My guided meditation is designed to help you to stay grounded and focused throughout your day and with any activity, whether it's work, making music or handling life balancing issues. You can do it anytime, anywhere. You can even do it in a toilet stall. Grab your free copy at bit.ly forward slash tum free meditation. That's bit.ly forward slash T-U-M free meditation. I hope you'll enjoy it. And now it's time to dive into this episode of Mind the Music. Thank you. 
and welcome back to a new episode of Mind the Music. This is a really special episode because I'm actually bringing back an interview that I have previously recorded for my Electronic Music Wellness Summit. This summit took place from June 23rd until June 26th and was geared towards people in electronic music who were really eager to get inspired on how to make a purpose-driven and lucrative activity inside of the electronic music scene whilst taking care of themselves, hence the name Electronic Music Wellness Summit. It was the first summit of its kind and I brought together 23 speakers from all over the world from all walks of life um, and with very, very diverse backgrounds. Now, one of those speakers is Jade Johnson, AKA Vamp Acid. And we talked about how to work with neurodiversity in electronic music. This is a really candid and open conversation about being on the spectrum and still being able to be active in electronic music. I think it's a really important conversation. It is a conversation that got a lot of attention and a lot of appreciation inside of the summit, inside of my virtual summit. And so I thought it was really important to bring this conversation back. So what you will hear now is not just the interview that I did with Jade for my summit, but also music that she has curated specifically for this episode. Now, before I let you go, before I let you listen to this episode and to this really beautiful interview, I just want you to remember this. If anything inside of this conversation resonates with you, then please, please do not hesitate to reach out. You can come talk to me. You can reach me at captain at theunicornmothership.com. Don't be afraid to reach out if you have any questions and I will be happy to support you in any way I can. I do hope you will enjoy the interview and for more questions or more information on what I do in my holistic coaching business, you can head on over to theunicornmothership.com. Hello, everybody. I am super excited to enjoy, enjoy introduce <laughs> the next speaker and also enjoy the conversation because I'm pretty sure I will. Um, so I'm happy to introduce Jade Johnson, aka Vamp Acid, and we will be talking about, well, actually exploring her experiences with neurodiversity in electronic music um, so that we can offer people with similar experiences more awareness around their own experiences so that they can have a better quality of life and really see how they too can easily build a life around their passion for electronic music. So let's dive right in. Hello, Jade, how are you? Hey, I'm good, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> so um, just to get started, just tell us a little bit more about who you are um, where you're from and what you currently do 
in music. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, so my name is Jade Johnson. Um, I go by Vamp Acid as um, a solo live, like kind of acid dance producer and musician. I play all analog. I don't use a computer. Um, I've been working with this project for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, and I moved from Los Angeles to Berlin about four years ago. Um, so yeah, currently I'm working on this project um, and I'm also freelancing in user experience design and project management. Um, so that's a whole nother thing, but I feel that it's related because it's, you know, designing experience for people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And how do you like to be addressed? What are your favorite pronouns? I forgot to ask you that. <laughs> okay. um, I mean, I usually just go by she, her. Um, I don't prefer to be called a boy um, or get confused to be one, actually. Um, but I do relate as kind of ladyish and tomboyish, if that makes yeah. sense, androgynous kind of. Yeah, that makes sense. And so before we really dive into your experiences with neurodiversity, what is the best way to address a person who is on the spectrum like you? Um, I think, you know, just if they are autistic, you can say this person is autistic, they have ASD, um, or, you know, they're on the spectrum versus a spectrum disorder. Yeah. Um, because I think that, or, or neurodiverse, I'm also okay with as it stands now, maybe that'll be phased out later. You know, um, but the whole like disorder aspect insinuates that this is kind of a negative thing. Um, but I think there's just so much more to be understood. And it's like, you know, the people are marginalized, you know, until something becomes more than one, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to include that question because I feel a lot of people don't, um, are not aware of that and and or don't know how to how to address um, people in such situations so it's good to to have some clarity on that <laughs> so you already shared a little bit what you currently do in electronic music can you go back a little bit um and tell us how you got into electronic music um yeah my brother uh is 11 years older and he's been my biggest musical influence so he introduced me to like synth pop and industrial and um punk even um but you know a lot of different genres which i expanded upon that basically saved my life when i was going through some you know um dysfunction in my home life as a kid um so yeah, I um, was DJing for a while after going to the clubs and, um, you know, I was in the punk scene for a long time and that kind of shifted as people started getting into black metal and then more electronic stuff, you know, um, which I think just all tied into each other as more like subculture um, and people coming together for similar reasons with like a family background or feeling like they don't fit in. Um, and so I ended up, I was invited out to an underground festival called Bogo Tracks out in Colombia. Um, 
And I met all of these like techno gabber um, artists from uh, Europe and South America. And that was the turning point for me where I knew that, oh yeah, this is like, this is so punk. You know, it's so like the thinking is so out there and creative. Um, and I came back to, I ended up moving to LA after missing my train, going back to the Bay Area. My mom wants me to move, yeah. She really wanted me to go back to school at the time I was trying to study costume design. And I started taking some electronic music courses at the City College after I met um, this uh, guy who ended up being my boyfriend, Basic, who was throwing these raves with like um, Dark Matter Sound System, or Sound System, um, Droid and Friendly Integration, these like big, um, like minimal techno labels now. Mm -hmm. And I just fell in love with it. Um, and so I started doing it, you know, and then it kind of just progressed from there as I got like a mentor from Nitzareb. I was shadowing Kevin Keyes from Skinny Puppy. Um, these people that had, these artists that had a huge impact on me already. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like, you know, that was the, the, the beginnings. <laughs> and how old were you then at that point? Um, I was in my early 20s when I moved to L.A. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you had already been in that scene for a while by then. Yeah, totally. I, I got in the punk scene when I was 11 years old, actually. So. Yeah, that's, that's already like a veteran almost by your early 20s, right? <laughs> yeah. And so a little bit about your work besides electronic music. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What, what is that all about? <laughs> um, yeah, sure. So user experience design, um, it's more on, it, it says design, but it's not like visual design necessarily, unless you go more into visual or user interface design. Um, but you're designing like the architecture and the strategy of a digital product um, or service uh, for um, users. I like to just say customers or people, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a lot of UX um, research involved, um, user testing, um, you know, you're collaborating with developers and data scientists trying to understand how to improve services through user behavior um, or to create like an optimal experience that is not an afterthought but something that can improve the quality of someone's life in an ideal world. Yeah. Um, so being highly analytical, which I believe is due to being on the spectrum partially, um, and seeing the finite details or what you would call edge cases, um, I think, um, and, and having a high level of empathy, which sometimes people on the spectrum um, are, you know, they get a, this reputation like, oh, they're just, you know, stoic and monotone and have no empathy, but really I have a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, I express it differently maybe. So yeah, it's a really interesting profession and I've also been splitting my time as a project manager and lead UX UI designer where I've been working in companies like um, NASA and Otis College of Art and Design as a product uh, design teacher and I'm, I made the decision through the influence or encouragement of a couple of friends to go into freelancing recently. Like, okay. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's pretty impressive as well. Like both of those kind of tracks in your, in your life, music and then design. 
it's really impressive. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so um, it was only until recently that you discovered that you were on the spectrum. Can you tell me a little bit about what the turning point was and how you got diagnosed? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'd been struggling with workaholism for a long time um, until, you know, I had to kind of take some time for myself. Um, and I realized I was having some difficulties like in um, with social issues or situations in communication in particular. Um, so I was missing social cues like with flirting where a friend would say, that person was flirting with you. And this happened a lot of times, like throughout my life actually. Um, or that person wants to be friends with you, they're trying to impress you. Where, you know, I think that something else is going on. Um, or trusting someone too early. Mm. And I kind of kept hitting the same dead end in situations. But I could be, you know, I've, I've been very charismatic and likable also throughout my life. But then I get to this point where there's just this, like, you know, computational error um, in the system of communication. And so, um, yeah, I, you know, with autism, it's largely about cognitive processing and communication issues, right? Yeah. Um, so with neurotypical people, you get them in the same room and they can really um, understand each other. With neurodiverse people, you get them in the same room and they can understand each other and you then you mix those up and it's like, right? Yeah. So I played in Prague um, last August and I was assaulted um, where I was hypervigilant for like six months and this was after I started getting and managing panic attacks. Um, so I remembered, oh wait, my mom was trying to have me diagnosed as a child for like four years, but she said she knew something was off. She had two other kids and a lot of siblings since I was three months old. Um, so the doctors told her after all of this extensive testing at Stanford and that I was too smart to be autistic, that I tested at like a genius level at the time, if those tests are even relevant anymore. Um, okay. so, yeah, I, I started doing more research about it with the difficulties I was having with these memories, talking to my mom about it. And she's like, yeah, well, we just kind of, you know, never really disclose the full picture to you, but I have her to thank to give me more information. So I was like, Di um, you know, watching these YouTube videos um, that people have been diagnosed in their 30s and um, like Laura Dazan of the Not Neurotypical podcast um, and it's psychologist Yo Sam D. San that's based in Amsterdam um, and started researching deeper um, and I really had this like holy Toledo like light bulb moment where um, I was identifying and it was the same feeling and like I'm getting children right now talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, but when I got clean, you know, seven and a half years ago and started turning my life around. Um, so I was tracking all the symptoms, which I'm still doing. I have like 30 pages. Um, and I um, have been like implementing tools that I'm researching. And um, I took all of these tests that are recommended on this diagnosis path before you go into formal diagnosis, the, right. the AQ and the RADS R. Um, so I got a referral from my doctor and the waiting list is like a year and a half. 
And it's insane. And that's in, you know, everyone from around the country in Germany, like I'm based in Berlin, they um, go to the specialist clinic for diagnostics. Um, if you try to do this in the States, it'll take probably the same time unless you pay a ton of money. But insurance usually doesn't even cover this. So here it does, luckily. Yay, Germany. Um, but anywho, yeah, so a, a lot of people based on this, um, like, you know, the, uh, they'll self-diagnose um, and they'll live their life like that or they maybe were, it was suggested by their doctor they were on the spectrum, like a good friend of mine who's an engineer, um, a typical, you know, like stereotypical, um, tri uh, sorry, um, yeah, field that they'll go into. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so the process is expensive, it's exhaustive, and you're left sometimes with minimal coping resources. Um, but I'm doing this because it feels like deep down that this is what's going on. And I know myself, and I've talked to friends who are like, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Um, so I feel like it's the right thing to do. And I also think that coming forward, like at the bare minimum, might help somebody else who's facing this issue, which is highly stigmatized. And um, some people get it and they're accepting and other people start treating you differently with like this hidden disability. But I believe that we're disabled by society for not trying to meet us halfway a lot of the time, unless they just treat us like, you know, we're disabled. But I try to seek to understand where other people are coming from instead of, you know, because I'm, you know, one of the few, right? Um, uh, so, yeah, um, I have to advocate for my own well-being, and I can't expect other people to do that for me, which I learned in recovery, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I also think sometimes, like, the self-help culture um, can express to people or their interpretation is there's something wrong with them and they're always trying to fix themselves. So I think trying to stay in the day of the human experience and focusing on like what you've accomplished, what you're grateful for, that's what I try to do to keep myself in the day. Um, so I think like finding the concoction that works for someone who's like suspects they're on the spectrum. Um, and I know that, and I think that's a really good thing. And having this self-awareness um, I'm starting to connect the dots of what I've experienced my entire life of not fitting in in a certain way, like being understood, doing things that might be misinterpreted by people or misinterpreting. And I'm kind of gaining closure around the skeletons in the closet that like still haunt my dreams. Um, so I feel like this is helping me to move into a happier chapter in my life um, and have more compassion and connection to other people. Yeah. So we're, we're, you already kind of hinted at it, how this has impacted your life, but could you maybe dive a little deeper into, if that feels comfortable for you, into more of a, like a specific example as to how your experience with neurodiversity has impacted your life or, or your work in electronic music? Um, at this stage, it's helping me to accept myself more and move past the fear that um, I can't express myself because it's wrong and I'll be given like a big fat red F in life, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and also growing up with this abusive household um, and trying to escape. I feel like I'm living life on life's terms now and I'm not having to escape as much. And it's such a unique, like a cool feeling. Like it feels really good. 
And also, um, yeah, like, what do I have to lose at this point? You know, I already like had to take an inkblot test to try and get this one job and a personality like cognitive test, which as a person on the spectrum, I process information differently. I'm really good with it, but yeah, it was awkward. And I told them like, okay, um, yeah, I'm on the spectrum. And they were like, oh, 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 oh. You know, I've even been told, oh, you should work in the medical industry then by a recruiter. So it's just really what? kind of, yeah, it's dehumanizing. I have experience working in the medical industry with the health embassy in Berlin. And it's a field I'm very interested in, particularly mental health, for obvious reasons, probably obvious to me. Um, so, yeah, um, I decided to start freelancing with my UX profession so I could start focusing more on electronic music um, mm -hmm. and the production and, you know, get more professional with it and go on tour whenever I get signed to a label for the album I'm working on. Um, but it's a dream I never knew I was capable of. You know, and I'm trying to turn around the negative experiences um, and see the lesson in it and move forward with that. And it feels really good to be at this stage in my life, you know? Yeah. So I remember in our pre-conversation, you mentioned something about um, how for women, it's um, usually later in life, like in their 30s, that um, they start to become more aware of possibly being on the spectrum because women are more capable of masking it. If I'm reframing that correctly, you mentioned something of that during our pre-conversation um, we had before this. Can you speak into that a little bit more, what, what you have discovered about this? Yeah, um, so this is just based on my personal experience. I know everyone's going to have a different one and a lot of the research um, that I've obtained on it and personal interviews with people on the spectrum with late diagnosis. And it seems to be the commonality of masking. Um, uh, socially speaking, um, okay, let's just say female identifying people have traditionally, you know, had less freedoms than male identifying people with the later right to vote work outside of the household um, were expected to raise children and put on this face of like makeup and you know try to put the best uh, foot forward and it's seen as a weakness if you're not doing that and you know if you're doing something different so i think that people um i think women even if I don't want to admit that. I've been conditioned to think that they need to be more feminine and there's something wrong with them if they're not. And this is still heavily integrated into society. Um, I thought Berlin would be totally different, but Berlin was where I had my total realization of this, right? Um, and it's a mixed bag, you know? So with the masking, it's being able to fit in and not feel like you're being ostracized. Um, for me, I've been told most of my life, like, oh, you're, why, why do you act like a guy? Like, you're so masculine, da, 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 da. And it's because, like, I'm more, I don't know, I'm just more, like, straightforward in social context. Yeah. Um, where it comes off as rude because I'm blunt and I don't mask as much, but I'm able to. 
like a chameleon, like in a business meeting. I can, I've been observing my whole life, other people and their mannerisms and things like that. Um, so it was actually after I had, you know, I was working myself to the bone that I started kind of progressing in my social skills to where the mask kind of fell off, I guess you could say. Probably too tired to, to keep keeping it up. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. So can you, um, wait, let me just go to the next question. Yeah, so just to round up this conversation, you've already hinted at a couple of really like, you know, um, practical ways to, to, to handle this and to, you know, self-diagnose and to raise awareness. But can you um, give your top two or three tips to people with similar experience to yours being on the spectrum as to how they can build a life around their passion? Um, in this case, specifically electronic music, but can also be in general. What are your top tips? Thank you. Um, those are, that's a super great question. Um, yeah, I would say number one, um, make a plan and try to stick to it as like the best of your ability. Like for instance, I believe that preparation makes all the difference in the world. Um, and with uh, people on the spectrum, um, it's very normal to stim, um, which is repetitive movements that are self-soothing. Um, and so, like, I fly under the radar by tapping my foot to music, and I notice I do it when I'm not listening to music, not in an impatient way, but I'm always keeping a beat, mm. um, which maybe sounds weird, but it works for me. Um, so when I'm prepared, um, I feel less stress, and I'm less prone to having some type of panic attack or a meltdown. Um, so it can mean, with preparation, it can mean a good week, um, or without, it could mean that I'm shutting down for a few days or weeks, and I can only do the bare minimum, and I don't want to be around people. Um, so I think that I struggle with sensory overload issues. Like I'll go into the grocery store, and I'll see everything um, and all the details. I make a list of everything I'm going to buy, Usually the same things, so go figure, structure and repetition, right? Yeah. Um, but I like it, and I make the list in an order where I can visualize everything that I go in so I can see, so I don't have to go back. And I'm going to a larger grocery store now, so having the space for myself um, and the personal space from other people helps a lot. Um, so, yeah, like I might go from zero to 60 with noises um, or the sensation of a watch on my wrist. I can maybe wear it for a couple hours or even makeup on my face. Sometimes I just start really feeling it. I have to take it off. So like I hear noises at the same level when I go outside. People chatting across the street, the birds chirping, the cars driving by. I everybody did. <laughs> um, and I see things in pictures, you know. So it helps with the visualization techniques, and I carry um, noise-canceling headphones um, and uh, earplugs. Um, so sometimes if I feel stressed um, or overwhelmed, like in the grocery store, I'll put in my earplugs, and then I feel good. I feel normal. And um, maybe it sounds strange, but um, dealing with these things and taking it seriously and bringing your little kit along, 
um, of self-care and to cancel out the sensory overload helps a lot. Um, so with that, I also recommend downloading like um, Insight Timer and doing little meditations between tasks or in the morning, or maybe trying out your meditation, which I noticed you have, which I got to try out. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. Um, and so I also bring like chewing gum, and I just got this like chewy kind of bracelet from Chewy Gem. Um, which was recommended by Anna Moomin, who was also diagnosed later in life. Um, and yeah, I understand why dogs like to chew on toys, but I always thought, I mean, I thought it was silly when I first heard, but I'm like, oh, this is so good. We're <laughs> <laughs> animals, right? Um, that have just been civilized or something. Um, so yeah, uh, with this plan also, executive dysfunction is a huge thing for some autistics. Um, and so um, I know that there's ways around it though. So I write down my plans for the day the night before. And if I have too many tasks that I need to do, things I need to do, I just try to spread them out. Um, because if I have like a lot of things on my list, I get really overwhelmed because that's what the sensory overload thing, like I see the patterns in the wall and like everything. And, um, yeah, I also carry prescription sunglasses also, which helps to cancel out some of the noise. So having this little kit of the bare minimum things, um, and also time for decompression. So after I play a show, I have to come home and chill out by myself and do something I enjoy and get a lot of sleep. Um, before I go to a show I'm gonna play, I try to pack up the night before um, because I notice if I go in and I'm all stressed out, I go into this like hypervigilant mode and it can send me into a meltdown when I get home, mm -hmm. which is part of the masking. I'm not gonna have the meltdown at the show when I have to play, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, obviously. <laughs> yeah, but like, I mean, I've had, you know, I've had panic attacks in public. I don't know if people have seen it, but now I have it under control, thank goodness. Um, second one that's extremely important to success um, in the, you know, the music industry, I think, is having a friend to be accountable to, like a sounding board buddy that's going to encourage, especially if you feel like very um, down because you were just rejected um, by a label or didn't get a gig or the gigs were all canceled, like with this COVID um, global pandemic happening right now. Um, but yeah, like um, I used to really be bound by my own fear and like justify that I was so independent until I moved here and I had to ask for a lot of help. So um, being accountable to someone um, that's supportive where you can say, hey, what do you think of this? Um, and, you know, like, that's helped me so much. I, I had a friend who volunteered himself to check in with me. Um, and, yeah, we're only friends. <laughs> I just wanted to put that out there. It's, like, totally and normal. Um, his name's uh, Will, and he um, has this – he's doing, like, production – um, and mixing and mastering. He worked at DBS for like four years, that big music school. Um, and he goes by Pink Bits, and he's releasing a movie called Pink Bits the Movie. And um, I'm in the film. So that's something else we're working on. And it's about rave culture um, and mental health, um, which is perfect timing 
Um, yeah. So he takes all my, my press photos too and just makes my upcoming track erotic discipline um, that will be released on um, the comp acid compilation Do You Even Acid by the Canadian label Obscure Music on the 22nd of June. Mm -hmm. um, so accountability, yes. And my last tip, um, you know, go easy on yourself. Yeah. It's so that goes with this like self stuff, right? Um, yeah. But I think the easiest way, like the quickest road to unhappiness and discouragement is comparing yourself to other people. Like what you think they have versus what you don't have. Comparing yourself to musicians that have been in the industry for like 30 years and are like boom, boom, big room, room techno artists, like world tours and fans. And um, so that like, I really try not to do that and keep myself in check. So reality check, I'm not that person and that's okay and do I want to be, I'm me. Um, so a lot of self-acceptance and trying to be in the moment helps with that um, and rewarding myself with something nice I like to do um, after I've been working on a song for like five hours, taking little breaks. Um, picking myself back up again is part of going easy on myself, being my own friend. Like, um, knowing that all it takes is one yes amidst all of those rejections. Um, and I try to understand, you know, versus like what I want, what I think is good for me. Because seriously, when one door closes, it's like the wrong door or the wrong door for the time, another one open. Like I got on this label through the COVID thing to help artists in the situation before I'd pitched to any labels. Um, and, you know, like, just remembering tomorrow's new day, you know, like, um, it's okay. And like, you can always try again or restart your day at any time. Like, yeah. that's what I, I do. This is also with like seven and a half years of recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for offering your perspective and also for having you know the vulnerable conversation for being so courageous i really appreciate you for sharing your experiences and definitely your practical insights and i hope and i do think that that will be the case that people will be able to put those insights into action right away and, and will be able to start to feel better really soon so thank you so much for doing this jade i really appreciate it thank you
women here are also cute. Egypt, Egypt. The freaks are on the 